Notre Dame season was on the brink. There's no other way around it. But in the most important moment, with everything on the line, Sam Hartman looked around and said, screw it, I'll do it myself. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Monday, October 2nd, so thank you for getting your week started here and making this your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Tyler Wojak. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And this episode of Locked On Irish is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. What a game, man, and what a night in Durham, North Carolina. I'm not going to lie, it was not the most enjoyable fan experience, I will say, watching that game. Um, Notre Dame was able to pull out the win 21-14 over the 17th-ranked Duke Blue Devils on the road in a hostile environment. Wallace Wade Stadium was probably rocking more than it's ever been because College Game Day was there, Notre Dame was in town, and Mike Elko and his program uh, had center stage for the first time in, I would imagine, a very long time. And it was an uphill battle for Notre Dame throughout but despite everything that went wrong with Notre Dame, and trust me, a lot went wrong, and we're going to get to all of that today, the fact that Notre Dame was able to gut that one out and pull off a win when they just had nothing going um, on offense, on defense, they're just, they had no momentum at all. They had the ball pinned back, and Sam Hartman led the way, led the Notre Dame offense down the field, 95 yards, but really 98 yards because of a false start penalty. And uh, Audrey Estime, caps it off with a game-winning touchdown. And there's just so much to talk about from that game, and I'm very excited to be here with you today because it has been a really rough week for Notre Dame fans, for the team. Uh, Marcus Freeman even admitted it, saying that it was a really tough week for the team and the program. And I think that he even undersold it a little bit because I just think about how I was feeling on Friday, like the almost a full week after the loss, and I was still down about it. And I just have to imagine that the players and everyone involved with that program, it was still in the back of their mind to some degree. But fortunately, they had a chance to go up against Duke and sort of wash that away uh, as much as they could, being able to go out there and compete again. And I think it was pretty evident for most of the game that there was still a bit of a hangover from that Ohio State game. I'm sure that there was a mental hangover, just trying to get past that and move on and play at your highest level, but also a physical hangover. Like, the the toll it took on those players was probably, you know, we didn't talk about it uh, as much as we should have, honestly, because you had guys, especially on defense, Al Golden really tightened up the rotations for Notre Dame's defense. Look at Javante Jean-Baptiste. He played 64 snaps against Ohio State. His backup, Nana Osafamensa, who typically plays at least 20 snaps a game. He only played five in that game. So those guys were out there. They gave it their all for pretty much every snap, and it just didn't work out. And that's going to carry over into the next game. But Notre Dame was able to at least temporarily forget about that. They got to celebrate a big win and enjoy that win because they should enjoy it. Duke is a really good team. Mike Elko is a damn good coach. I don't think he's going to be at Duke much longer because I guarantee this offseason, whenever there's a head coach opening, and we know that there will be, I am absolutely certain that Mike Elko is going to be on the short list for a lot of athletic directors looking to hire a new head coach. And he had his team ready to go. Notre Dame was able to get a touchdown in the first drive, thanks in part to a fake punt. 
uh, and a great run by Jeremiah Love. I was a little bit disappointed he didn't house that personally, but it was a great call by Marcus Freeman, an aggressive call early that he kind of shied away from lane again. We'll get into that more in segment two and three uh, and all the things that I didn't necessarily love about the game. But I love that call in the moment. Notre Dame gets on the board, and you're thinking, all right, Notre Dame is just going to put it on him against Duke. This is going to be great. They're going to make a statement that they're over that Ohio State game and that they have a lot left to play for the rest of the season. Obviously, things didn't really go as planned. Notre Dame had so many chances in the first half to score touchdowns, and they just couldn't get out of their own way. They had so many penalties, drops, uh, two drops in the red zone, as a matter of fact, by Notre Dame's wide receivers, and they even had a sack. there. It just was not a pretty night offensively for Notre Dame throughout. But Notre Dame's defense played outstanding football in the first half. They were keeping Notre Dame in it and making sure that Duke was not going to take advantage of the plethora of opportunities that Notre Dame was giving them. And then you go into the half with a 10-0 lead, but it did not feel that great at all. Uh, at least it didn't for me. Maybe you're, you were more confident about Notre Dame in that one, but I did not go into halftime feeling that great, even though Duke had just missed that field goal right before the half. So second half, Duke comes out and they're starting to move the ball a little bit. They came out of halftime ready to go. They're like, look, if you're going to keep giving us chances, we're going to start moving the ball. Riley Leonard started to get hot. He started to get into a rhythm, that Duke rushing attack. It all started coming together for him. And you could kind of slowly see the wheels start falling off for Notre Dame. And I was just like, this is not good. It's, it's kind of like watching it, knowing the inevitable is happening when Duke is eventually going to take the lead. It's not a matter of if, but when. And then it happened. Duke takes the lead. They score on a, I think it was a busted coverage by Notre Dame, and they have the lead. Notre Dame gets the ball back, and they don't answer. And it was sort of my worst fears coming to life because all week leading up to the game, I thought it was definitely going to be a tight battle. I thought it was going to be a close game. I knew that Duke uh, was good defensively and that Mike Elko was going to have his team ready. And just given the circumstances, given the fact that game day was there, all this stuff was surrounding this game, and, and Duke was fresh. They had played some weak opponents leading up, and Notre Dame's coming off the Ohio State game. I just looked at it as, this is going to be a tough win, but I figured that Notre Dame would sort of kind of be close early on and then be able to just lean on their offensive line to power them through and just kind of bully them in the second half and win that way. Obviously, that's not what happened there. It really started once we found out that Jane Greathouse and Jane Thomas, two of Notre Dame's most productive wide receivers, were not going to be available for the game. We kind of figured that Jane Thomas would not be available considering he suffered that injury against Ohio State, wasn't really an active participant in practice that week. But the Jane Greathouse news came out of uh, came out of nowhere, really. Irish Illustrated was the first to report it on Saturday leading up to the game. And now all of a sudden... I'm really concerned. Like, I knew it was going to be a dogfight, but then I'm thinking, well, if Notre Dame's out and they're down to basically, what, three, four scholarship wide receivers because it's not just Jane Greathouse and Jane, Jane Thomas hurt. Deion Colsey is out for a few weeks, and I know he's not a starter, but he'd be nice to have in the reserve. And then Matt Salerno, who is probably forgotten by much of the fan base, but he suffered, I think, what I believe is a season-ending injury early on in the season, and you know, for all of his faults or for all of the perceived faults by the fan base, it would have been a lot nicer to have another guy out there who knew what he was doing and at least rotate with the uh, receivers who did play because they were so thin. It was like watching the 2022 offense when Notre Dame could not rotate receivers. So Notre Dame's down 13 to 14 late in the game. They don't have any receivers and they get the ball back with 235 to go. And Notre Dame had not done anything offensively since the first quarter leading up to that. And I actually got a text. I think it was, yeah, it was from my dad who said, this is why you bring in Sam Hartman. And he was right. But I was skeptical just because the guys around him couldn't do anything. And it was not Sam Hartman's best game either. 
So they get the ball back at the five-yard line. I personally was a little bit surprised that Duke did not decide to go for it on that fourth and six, just considering they had everything going for him. But considering Notre Dame only needed a field goal to win it, I kind of understand. So Notre Dame gets the ball back to five. Of course, they decide to commit a false start uh, on the first play because they had done it on practically every other drive. So why not do it again? One more time, right? So really, it was a 98-yard drive. And from the first play, you could see Sam Hartman. Everything about his game coming together, and he showcased it all on that first half. It really, on the first play, it looked like it was all going to go to hell because uh, Duke had a free blitzer on the right side. Sam Hartman recognized it, somehow avoided the blitz, almost ran out of bound, or ran out of the end zone, which would have been a safety. Doesn't do it, just kind of lofts it up in that area, knowing that he's going to get the penalty called. Notre Dame gets a first down. Huge play. A couple plays later, Third and 10 at their own 16. Notre Dame had been O of their previous 10 on third down. Sam Hartman fires a bullet to Mitchell Evans in the middle of the field. And there was a hand right in Hartman's face. But he didn't move. He didn't try to avoid it. He fired it. Got the ball to Mitchell Evans, who, by the way, just another unbelievable game for him. Six receptions, 134 yards. He was Notre Dame's best pass-catching target with all the receivers out. Another great game by him. Then Sam Hartman found Rico Flores wide open in the middle of the field for a huge gain. And then... Tamias Merriweather committed an incredibly dumb penalty down the sideline. And now everything is backed up, right? Now we're at first and 25. The ball is now back on Notre Dame's side of the field. Fortunately, they were able to get some of it back on a little screen to estimate. But then Duke got pressure on the, uh, on the next two plays. And all of a sudden, it's fourth and 16 on Duke's 47. The season was on the line. Like, make the first down, they're still alive. But if they don't get it, the game is over. All of the preseason aspirations are gone. They're out the window. Notre Dame goes back home with a 4-2 and two record at the halfway point and a very underwhelming one at that because the four wins that they have all of a sudden don't look nearly as good considering the two losses. Sam Hartman rolls out to his right, and for once, Notre Dame's lack of experienced receivers kind of helped him because when Hartman was rolling right, you can see him begging a wide receiver to please come back to the ball Give me an option to throw to. They don't do it. He realizes, I've got to do it myself. He puts his foot in the ground, takes off, gets the first down, lowers his shoulder on a couple Duke defenders to ensure that he got the, that he got the first, immediately has the awareness to get up, run to the line, spike the ball, downs it. Notre Dame is on their side of the field, threatening, and oh my God, the season is still alive. Then all of those body blows that Audrick Esme had delivered to the Duke defense all game that really didn't go for that many yards. Finally, it pays off. He breaks loose. Notre Dame scores. Euphoria on the Notre Dame sideline and in my living room, and I imagine your living room as well as you were watching that game. Hartman converts a two-point conversion. Howard Cross capitalizes the best game of his career with a strip sack on Riley Leonard. Cross finished with 13 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, a sack and a forced fumble. Unbelievable ending to a pretty painful game from the Notre Dame side of things. And look, I, I know that there's a lot to clean up, and we're going to talk a lot about it, but these games define a season. And it's not always the, the games against the biggest opponents. Like, you, you always know that those are going to be a battle. Those are going to be tough. That's, that's obvious. But it's the games when you're not at your best. You're playing a team that you're better than, but they're certainly capable of beating you. And how do you answer at the end of those games? Are you able to pull out a win when, frankly, you might not even deserve it. It's those games that can save a season, keep things on track, and hopefully lead to much better results at, uh, at the end of the year. Just look back at 2022. Marshall was that game. Notre Dame played terribly. And they give up that touchdown to Marshall late. 
Notre Dame has a chance to drive uh, late in the game, and Tyler Buckner throws a pick six. That was a defining moment of the season because once that happened, everything was kind of done. Then, you know, Tyler Buckner gets hurt later on in the game, and then things are really bad. But from that moment, Marshall secured the win, and everything that we had hoped for going into Marcus Freeman's first season as head coach pretty much went out the window because of that Marshall game, because of that drive when Notre Dame's defense led up that touchdown, and then on offense, the way they responded, they blew it. And that is that is sort of how the 2022 season ended. I mean, I know Notre Dame was able to salvage nine wins, but it's not going to be a fun season that we look back on because of that game. Look back at uh, 2021. Everything was going wrong against Virginia Tech. Somehow, Jack Cohn comes back, leads Notre Dame down the field. They win that game, and they end up finishing that season 11-1. How different do we talk about that season if they had lost to Virginia Tech, who could have and should have beaten Notre Dame that day, but they didn't because Notre Dame, when everything was going wrong, they found a way to win. 2019, I think about that comeback against Virginia Tech again. Things would have been really bad coming off that loss to Michigan if they had lost to Virginia Tech, but they didn't. They saved it. Much different season because of that. And then in 2018, they actually had two against really bad teams. They were on the brink against Ball State and Vanderbilt. They were able to pull it off. But if they had lost one, either one of those games, you know, think about that magical season that is just gone because they aren't able to pull it out. Duke is a much better team than all of the ones I just mentioned. But still, Notre Dame was better. It was pretty clear they had more talent, but they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. But Sam Hartman, when everything was going wrong, stepped up and saved the day. I really, I, I cannot praise him enough for how he responded in that moment, not just with his play, his attitude, his confidence, and that's why you bring him in. Like, he comes to Notre Dame in January. We spent all offseason talking about Notre Dame's expectations, what's Sam Hartman going to be, how is he going to elevate the whole team. We just saw it. And one of the most important moments of the season, he comes through and he is just a special, special college football player. I am so grateful that we get to watch him every Saturday. And uh, we're going to need him to play really well in this upcoming game against Louisville and against USC. And he is just a really fun guy to root for, man, because he gives it his all on the field. He's a class act. He stuck around after the game, waited for Riley Leonard, gave all the credit to his teammates. And I cannot wait to watch him play more football in the blue and gold. So, Unbelievable win by Notre Dame against all odds. Unbelievable performance by Sam Harmon, but it was far from perfect. So coming up in segment two, we're going to talk about all the things that Notre Dame needs to clean up after that game against Duke. Now time for your Game Changer of the Week, brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Sam Hartman has done for the Notre Dame football program, Athletic Brewing has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. They're full of flavor and well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. You could find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKDOWN to get 15% off at your first online order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company fit for all times. Before we get back to the Duke game, I'd like to remind you to please like the video below and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast and like what you hear. Please rate the show. Five stars would be preferable. Leave a review and, of course, subscribe. So now that we've established that it was a great win by Notre Dame, let's talk about all the bad stuff because there was a lot. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind is Notre Dame's wide receivers need to get healthy and they need to do it quickly because, well, the production from the wide receivers in that game was just not good enough. Notre Dame's leading wide receiver in that game, and I mean true wide receiver, was Chris Tyree with two catches, 28 yards. 
Rico Flores, not his best game, but he did come through late. He had two catches, 28 yards, and that was it for Notre Dame's wide receivers in that game. I understand they're without Jane Thomas and Jane Greathouse, and Marcus Freeman did say after the Duke game that he expects them to be back, but they're both dealing with hamstring injuries, and that can be a little bit tricky for any skilled player, but especially a wide receiver who has to run around so much. But those guys need to get healthy quickly because I was, frankly, really disappointed uh, in the play by Tobias Merriweather. He did not have a good game, and I'm starting to think that he might just be what he is, and that's a really talented athlete, great straight line speed, but the the toughness and the confidence that you need to have to be a wide receiver, I just don't know if he has that right now. He might develop it later on, but right now on this current Notre Dame team, he's just not that guy. And this would have been a perfect opportunity for Tobias Merriweather to step up with all those other guys out and be their receiver who we all thought he could be and make some plays, and that is just not what happened at all. I, I think the thing that frustrates me the most with him is I just can't stand his body language sometimes because he had a brutal drop in the red zone. And yeah, I know the ball was like maybe a little behind him, but dude, it hit him right in the hands, right by his face, drops it, and just didn't even look upset. Now, I'm sure he was, but I want I, I want a wide receiver who makes that play, is pissed at himself, and is like, get me the ball again. I want to make a play. I just don't get that vibe from Tobias Merriweather. And he's on the field a lot. He gets a lot of snaps, more than any other receiver not named Jane Thomas, and we have just not seen enough production from him in the passing game to really warrant that at this point. And I really hope he turns it around because I'm rooting for him. I want him to have success. But at a certain point, you got to just look at what he does on Saturdays and say, that's not cutting it. I hope it gets better, but you even look at that offensive pass interference penalty. Was it a little ticky-tack, especially in that moment? Yeah, for sure. But he didn't even catch it. Like, the ball hit him right in the shoulders. If you're going to get the offensive PI, at least bring it down. And then he went down so hard and, like, rolled around for a little bit. It was just everything about it was bad. It was not a good game for him. And Duke's defense was daring Notre Dame's wide receivers to get open because they were blitzing every time. And uh, that actually leads me to my next point. They were blitzing so much because they were like, okay, fine. I'm daring you, Notre Dame wide receivers, to beat us. Notre Dame couldn't do it. No one could get open. And what that led to was a very inconsistent performance from the offensive line. Some of that was due to the fact that Duke was blitzing a lot. I'll give them that. But 12 penalties for 70 yards, and how many of those were false starts? It's bad, man. The penalties for Notre Dame, it's a problem. It's a thing now. Okay, At the beginning of the year, you're like, okay, bad game, NC State, whatever. They had 10 penalties in that game. They only committed four against Ohio State, so it was encouraging, and you're thinking, all right, maybe they move past that. Nope. <laughs> 12 penalties for 70 yards. They've had 34 penalties in the last four games, and they're going to go into another hostile environment this weekend at Louisville. That's a, sol- uh, it's a sellout crowd, and I promise you, even though Louisville football might not be uh, the most well-known in the country, their fans are going to bring it for that one, man. They're going to really want that one. It's going to be loud. It's going to be difficult. So the offensive line cannot be going... Uh, cannot be having all these false starts. That was really frustrating, too, by Zeke Carell, the center. He even said, actually, after the game, he admitted that was the worst game uh, of his career. And, I mean, <laughs> so really disappointing performance by the Notre Dame offensive line. you got to give credit to Duke's defense for sure. But I thought Notre Dame's offensive line would be able to build off of what they had or their performance against Ohio State, and that just did not happen. Audrey Kessemay got stuffed eight times. Notre Dame had 12 run, running stuffs total, and that is just not going to cut it, especially when your wide receivers are out and you need to establish run. Notre Dame is an offensive and defensive line 
offensive-driven uh, program. If the offensive line isn't playing at a great-to-elite level, the team is going to suffer as, as a result, and that's exactly what happened in this game. Another thing I, I want to address here on the offense is the play calling was questionable, and I I hate people who always just say the play caller sucks and that's their immediate cop-out every time. I just think it's so easy to, to just see, oh, that play didn't work. Well, clearly the offensive coordinator doesn't know what he's doing when that person doesn't know nearly as much about what went into that play as the coordinator and everyone else involved. But when I look at this game, I'm not going to say I, I know every single play call, but it, there's more so just like the trends that I found confusing. Like, why was Notre Dame insisting on running in between the tackles when it seemed pretty clear that Duke's interior on the defensive line was winning that battle against Notre Dame's offensive line? And I understand you want to keep, you know, giving it a shot to try to set up some plays later, deliver some body blows, and try to out-physical them later on. But that wasn't happening with Duke. And I just thought the run game did not have nearly the creativity that it did against Ohio State when Notre Dame was trying all kinds of different stuff to get things going. And it worked against what I believe is a better defense on Ohio State than Duke, but maybe I'm wrong. So that was a little bit curious to me. And then decisions like when Notre Dame had a, a third and three and they threw an incomplete pass and then they decided to kick a field goal that was way out. It's like, if you know you're going to kick a field goal after this, why is that the play call on third down? Like, that's the sort of stuff that doesn't make sense to me when it's not just like, oh, that one play call, why are you doing it this this way when it's not working? Like, I'm not going to do that. And then there were some other questionable decisions by Marcus Freeman that I didn't quite understand. Like, I don't know what Marcus Freeman sees from Spencer Schrader in practice that makes him uh, trust Spencer Schrader so much, but he's just not reliable. Like, that's clear as day. And what's more concerning is that Marcus Freeman has so much trust in Schrader, and frankly, he has not done anything on Saturdays to earn that level of trust. Yes, I know he went 2 of 3 in this game, but he missed another chip shot, and it's becoming a trend. If I have to hear one more time about how he's got a giant leg and he can kick it from 70 yards, that's awesome, dude. I'd also like it if you could hit a 35-yarder. Is it that much to ask for? He's like the Adam Dunn of kickers. He just strikes out over and over again, but he's like, oh, when he makes contact, it's like a 550-foot home run. Cool, but we also have to address the 20 strikeouts that led up to that. Like, we can't continue to trot out Spencer Schrader out there from short distance if he's just going to pummel the ball way right or way left. Like, that just cannot happen anymore. Thank God Audrick Estime scored that touchdown because if we had to line up for a potential game-winning field goal down, I would have had a heart attack. And Marcus Freeman even said after the game that he wanted Audric to go down at the one. No. I know that that makes sense in theory and in practice with Marcus Freeman to try to run out the clock, but I just did not want to deal with that at all. And one thing that I would love to ask him was, did he mean he wanted Audric Estime? Because in the post-game, not the post-game press conference, in the post-game interview on the field, he said that they were just trying to run the ball to set up a field goal. Notre Dame was only at the Duke 30. Were they really going to try to just run with Estime to just get the ball in the middle of the field and then kick a game winner from 47 yards out? That's what we're thinking there. Fortunately, Estime scored the touchdown there, and we'll never know. But it did kind of seem that way uh, when he was talking to Holly Rowe in the postgame. I don't know. Hopefully, or, or thankfully, we won't have to deal with that. On the defense... I thought the defense played great. They were on the field a ton, especially in the second half, so I don't want to be too critical of them. You know, Duke eventually was going to get some things going, but the missed tackles hurt again, especially in the secondary. They had 15 
missed tackles, uh, according to PFF, that's way too many. Way too many. That's like USC numbers. USC had 14 against Arizona State, and if you watch that game, it felt like a lot more. But that's how Notre Dame looked, and a lot of those came from the secondary. So they had 15 total missed tackles. Eight of those came from the defensive backs. Xavier Watts uh, had the most with three. DJ Brown had a couple. Morrison, Clarence Lewis, those guys added one as well. So that was a little bit disappointing. they got to clean that up, um, especially when they play USC here in a couple weeks. And even Louisville, they've got some playmakers. But there's a lot that Notre Dame needs to clean up, and they have a lot of time, or they don't have a lot of time left to do it. So coming up in segment three, we'll discuss how Notre Dame can fix those problems, how they can build off this win, and what that means for them the rest of the way. College football season is here, and this season, the Lockdown Podcast Network is kicking up our coverage with a new show called College Football Kickoff Live, which airs every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on every Lockdown College YouTube channel. College Football Kickoff Live will cover everything going on in the sport and go in-depth like only Lockdown can, including insight analysis from our stable of college hosts covering their team every day. Snap in action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than now. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. So coming off a win like that, a lot of people have questions about the big picture. What does it mean for the team going forward? Frankly, I don't think we should forecast the rest of the season off of one game. This was a unique game. Notre Dame was coming off a very emotional, debilitating loss at home to Ohio State, and then they had to go on the road to play a very tough Duke team in arguably the biggest game in that program's entire history. The fact that they were able to get out of that with a win is huge by itself. It's, it's a massive win, especially considering everything that Notre Dame had to go through to get that win. But as I just went through, there were a lot of things from that game that made you really question what Notre Dame was doing, both offensively, defensively, from the coaching staff and beyond. Notre Dame walks away from that game with a lot more question marks than they probably entered with because despite the loss to Ohio State, they played a really sound football game up until those last few minutes going up against elite competition. Now, I don't want to rush to any judgment and say, well, now all of a sudden I think of this team di- differently. I think they're going to be, you know, they're going to be more susceptible to an upset to Pitt or a Wake Forest or any of those other teams. They're not going to be able to run the table. Let's hold off on all that right now. We've talked before on this podcast about how there's not as much carryover week to week as you think in college football. These kids, for the most part, are 18 to 22 years old, except for Sam Hartman and a few other guys who are a little bit older than that. But there's a lot of variance in these games. And you got, uh, for example, like look at Oregon, right? They smacked Colorado. What do they do next weekend? They were like in a game with Stanford who lost to, or they were losing to USC 49 to three in the first half. Like is Stanford almost as good as Oregon? No. And Oregon ended up blowing them out. But my point is that The different circumstances from each game affect the outcome, affect the way that it's played, and that does not carry over as much week to week. Notre Dame is going to have another really tough game against Louisville this weekend, but they have got to come out and handle business early and just not be in a dogfight at the very end of the game. Because I've watched a lot of Louisville. I'm going to talk a lot about the Louisville game more this week, but Notre Dame is way better than them. They just have to play up to their full potential, which frankly they have not done all year. They almost did against Ohio State, but even in that game, there were certainly a lot of plays that could have been made, even prior to the meltdown at the end. So 
I, I feel a little bit better about Notre Dame's chances to run the table knowing that if they can pull it together, they have everything they need to win out. The problem is they keep shooting themselves in the foot, and that does fall on the coaching staff. And look, I want Marcus Freeman to succeed. I'm not saying he's a bad coach or anything like that, but we are dealing with some of those growing pains on a week-to-week basis, and it's not just him either. Jared Parker is a first-year offensive coordinator. I think this game against Duke was a good example of you know the shortcomings of having a first-year offensive coordinator. It's not what Notre Dame wanted. That's why Marcus Freeman looked at a bunch of other options before he turned to Jared Parker. And there is a good chance that Jared Parker is and will be a very good offensive coordinator. But we're going to have to deal with some of those growing pains right now. But Notre Dame has the talent to be able to put it all together. They just need to work as a cohesive unit and get everyone on the same page because right now it's it does not seem like everyone is on the same page. So Notre Dame is plenty to clean up, but the thing that they do have is a very, very good quarterback, a very resilient group, a veteran group that has proven that they can find a way to win games. Right now, I'm not going to look at the games beyond USC. I'm going to look at the game against Louisville because I think it directly impacts USC. If Notre Dame heads to Louisville and that game goes down to the wire again and it requires every last bit of energy from this Notre Dame team to pull off that win, then I am not going to be feeling that great about the Irish's chances against USC because that is, one, their eighth straight game. It would be their fourth straight night game against an undefeated opponent. And it would be their fourth game in a row that is going to require every little bit of that team to pull it off. And that is just a lot to ask of any team at any level of football. So this is a very important game for Notre Dame coming up. And I think that Duke game was a great way to wash off that Ohio State game, put that behind him, at least temporarily, because obviously we're going to be talking about that Ohio State game for years to come. It's like the new Bush push where, you know, every time you have a moment of happiness, you'll think, oh, remember that? And then you'll be sad again. That's just our new reality, okay? But as for this team in this season, this game against Louisville is so important because if they come out and they handle their business and they look ready to go for USC, everything is back on the table. This Duke game was all about survival, and it became even more so once we found out that Notre Dame was going to be without Jane Thomas and Jane Greathouse. They were shorthanded, they were on the road, and they got it done. They have a lot to learn, and they have a lot to correct. I'm hopeful that the team and Marcus Freeman, now that they won't be coming off such a brutal loss, coming off a win, they'll be a little bit more energized, They'll have a little bit more in the tank. They'll be able to right those wrongs this week. And then going up against USC in the following week, they'll be ready to go on the biggest stage once again. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. Tomorrow, I'm going to have Luke Smith back on the show. We'll put uh, the finishing touches on the Duke game. We'll go over the three things that we liked and we didn't like, like we do on every Tuesday during the season. Remember to subscribe to the show on YouTube so you can stay up to date on all the new episodes. Uh, And like the video below if you're watching on YouTube. Remember, rate the show, leave a review if you're listening to the podcast. And you can follow us on social media. The Twitter account is at LockdownIrish. Instagram is at LockdownIrishPod. And my personal Twitter account is at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. I'll see you guys tomorrow.